speaking in Jesus' precious name. Thank you for uh, the invitation to come to Weavertown. I am from Mine Road, but Weavertown has had a special place in my heart for many years. It's where I found my wife. And maybe that's not the only reason Weavertown is special. I would like to uh, just take this opportunity to thank the Weavertown congregation and especially the Weavertown leadership. It was almost a year ago that Lil passed away, my wife, right over the time that we at Mine Road had scheduled another or a bishop ordination. And I just want to thank you and especially Dave, Brother Dave, for your support and for coming and helping us out over that time. So it's special for me to be here this evening and share this evening with you. My uh, <clears throat> assignment actually has a title, Sowing the Seeds of the Kingdom. And it's an assignment that I have had, uh, I guess due to being on the AMA board, I would give this topic at the orientation for AMA workers. So the message this evening, sowing seeds of the kingdom, is to have a note of encouragement that when we all leave here, we will be excited about being in the work of the kingdom and especially in sowing seeds. We'll be looking at numerous scriptures, and then I'd like to share some practical illustrations of how to sow and what to sow, and then end with a story, a personal experience that our family witnessed the five years that we were in Romania under Cam, and how this experience personally encouraged me to be a sower. So consider briefly the marvel of a seed. And I have a seed in my hand. I don't expect that you can see it. It's tiny. But this seed has the potential to produce 800 to 1,000 more just like it. And on my way here, I just stopped along the road, walked into a cornfield, and got a kernel of corn. The marvel of a seed. You know, we could spend a little time talking about, is this seed dead or alive? It would be interesting to see your response or to hear from you. Is it dead or alive? There's actually students that want to debate that. There's this account of recently scientists found a seed, and I think it was a lotus plant. They found a seed that they predicted was 2,000 years old. And with the right environment, the right ingredients, it sprung forth. So was the seed dead or alive? Well, I, I think maybe a word that describes a seed is that it's dormant until the right conditions. Now, I'm not planning on talking more about this, the marvel of the seed, but just keep that in the back of your mind as we look at some scriptures concerning sowing the seed of the kingdom. First of all, maybe I'd like for us to turn to Matthew 22 and consider Jesus' answer to the lawyer who asked, which is the great commandment in the kingdom? Which is the great commandment in the kingdom of God? 
And I'd like to read Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Matthew 22, 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Or in other words, what is the bottom line? What's the great commandment? And this is how Jesus answered in verse 37. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great or most important commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. And so as I was considering narrowing this down to the seed of the kingdom, or the seeds of the kingdom, I began to look at how would you describe in a few words this kingdom. Well, I had to conclude that one thing, we too often find it too easy to separate the two. The great commandment, or the most important commandment, is to love God, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor. And too often I find that it's easy for us to separate those two. You know, we would testify that we love God. But do we also love men, our fellow men, as or like we love God? Maybe I can just conclude with this thought, that there's something terribly selfish about being saved, experiencing salvation. There's something terribly selfish about being saved and not helping others find salvation. I believe love is the sum duty of man, and I believe that love is faith's work. When we have a living faith, love is its work. Okay, I mentioned that we would look at some scriptures. Let's turn now to Psalm 146. Psalm 146 is a psalm about trusting God. Trusting God includes that we believe He alone created, and He alone can save, and He alone can sustain. I'd like to just have us think a little bit about the world that we live in. I think you would all agree we live in a broken world. There are many hurting people in the world today, physically experiencing well, many physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. Many souls are weighed down with guilt and wrongdoing. There are hardships, discouragements, and despair in the world we live in. Maybe if we're honest, we'll admit that we experience some of these very things. Statistics has it that there's 45,000 suicides per year in America. Hurting people. And then the hurting people that are left behind. Statistics give it that 50% of the marriages fail hurting people and all the children that are hurt through that. I'd like to read this psalm beginning 
in verse 3, Psalm 146, 3. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. Verse 5. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And in this verse I see help and hope, and it's in God. It's in God, verse 6, which made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners, the Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow. And I'll stop reading there. How does the Lord do all this? And I'm under the persuasion that it's through us through his children, through his church, through our hands and feet and mouth. That contact with your neighbor, the encouragement you give a struggling fellow Christian, that visit to jail, the hospital, or the nursing home, the loving support you give to those who are hurting, and your prayers are all so significant. Your part in the building of God's kingdom is important, and let's never allow Satan to convince us otherwise. Let's look at another scripture, 1 Corinthians 3, 9. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm looking at some of these scriptures to, to bear out how that when we choose to be in Christ's kingdom, when we choose that salvation for our souls, we take on, <clears throat> if love is to rule, we take on a responsibility for our neighbor for our fellow man. Here Paul uh, points out that in verse 6, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. The point that I'd like to pull out and focus on is that we are laborers together with God in the work of the kingdom. I believe that we can conclude that this is one of the principles of Scripture, that his disciples, his followers, followers of Jesus, are to be involved in the work of the kingdom. So, much more could be said, but time doesn't allow it. I think we'll move into the next Scripture, which brings out that one aspect of kingdom work is sowing seeds of the kingdom. And for that, turn with me to Matthew 13. And some of you might be thinking, oh, that's the parable of the sower. And maybe it is, but I like to view it as the parable of hearts. Matthew 13, I'll begin reading in verse 3. 
And he, this is Jesus, spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And Jesus doesn't maybe explain all the parables when he gives them, but I like the ones that he does. And this one he does. If you look at, go to verse 18, Jesus says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. And then he explains what he was teaching and referring to. <clears throat> There's several things that we could notice here. And one of them is what is the seed that's to be sown? What is the seed? And in verse 19, I think it tells us, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, I believe that's the seed that he was talking about that the sower was sowing the word of the kingdom. And I'd like to enlarge on that just a little. What would you, let's get practical. What are we going to sow? So we're going to sow the word of the kingdom, but what's that? We know that we're not going to go out and, and throw physical seeds but we're going to sow the word of the kingdom. And in the scripture that we looked at first, where the lawyer asked, what is the bottom line? What was the answer? In one word, what would you say was Christ's answer? Love. Love. So I think it's not hard for me to see that one of, the, one of the words of the kingdom is love. So we're going to sow love. Now, how do you do that? Because we can't grab it and throw it around. There's, uh, I was looking for an, a way to explain so that even children could understand what we're supposed to sow. And I came up with Yes, in Proverbs 12:17 it says, "He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness." And I was sorting out different verses in scripture and trying to find these couple words that we could make practical. And it actually came down, in, in my way of looking at it, to two words. Showing love and speaking truth. Now, I would, I would welcome if after the service somebody comes and says, but you know you missed this. I, I would welcome that. <clears throat> but I really believe that to sow the word of the kingdom is, you might say, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you might say it's the gospel, which it is, I agree. 
But how do we sow the gospel? And I believe it's through loving others and speaking truth. So let's keep that um, in, our, in our heads as two things that we can work on to sow the seeds of the kingdom is going to mean now that I show love and I open my mouth and speak truth. And it is amazing how many opportunities God puts in front of us. And when we're thinking about how to show love and how to speak truth, how that you can affect and meet the needs in the world. Now, just in case I didn't make it, didn't emphasize it enough, I meant to that we're sowers. One plants, another waters, but I want somebody to respond. But what? But God gives the increase. The encouragement this evening is that we would do our part. God will do his but that we would do our part. The other thing I wanted to, to pull out of this um, teaching here about the sower went forth to sow. Did you notice that Jesus um, highlighted or brought out four types of hearts? So we're sowing deeds of love and speaking truth. And for some, it's like it falls on the wayside or in stony places or among thorns. But one of them is good ground. And I don't believe it's up to us to look at a person or a situation and say, you know, I don't think it's worth sowing here. We're called to sow, and God will take it from there. And maybe, if you want to go percentages, maybe only a fourth of the people have good ground. And we are not asked to determine that. We're just asked to sow. Love and speak truth. Turn with me to another scripture. Ecclesiastes 11. I find this uh, portion of scripture challenging and encouraging and rather revealing. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1. Cast thy bread upon the waters. And waters in the Old Testament often refers to the multitudes of needy. So here the admonition is to cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. And I look at that as uh, bringing to our attention that there's a window of time. There's just a window of time. Maybe it's in years. It's just a window of time that we have now. Maybe it's the person that you met somewhere and you have just a window of time to speak truth or to show love. And after that moment, that Opportunity is gone, okay? Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. And it, yeah, I'll continue reading. 
Verse 5, as thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. It's not up to us to decide when to sow and when not. And I, I, uh, my occupation was a farmer for years. And, you know, we'd look at the sky and listen to the weather forecast to decide whether we're going to cut alfalfa or not. And sometimes we just had to take a risk. And I, I see this as just encouraging us to sow ev- with every opportunity that we have. Now, did you ever feel like the evil in the world is just getting worse? And I don't even know how to approach some people. And it just seems like the tide is rising. And I'm beginning to feel discouraged about even opening my mouth or showing love because I just got rejected a bit ago. That type of thing. Well, there's a scripture that I'd like for us to turn to and consider. And this scripture has, or this account, has been a big encouragement to myself. It's in John 6, and it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I want to pull out just a few things from, from that account. It's actually in several of the Gospels. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him. And we know that the great multitude was thousands of people. Because they saw his miracles, which he did, on them that were deceased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh, or near at hand. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And notice Philip's response. 200 penny worth of bread isn't sufficient for them, that every one of them may take even a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. Do you notice what he said on top of that? But what are they among so many? We have here but five loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many? Can't you just hear them thinking or even maybe saying, this is just like a drop in the bucket. There's an ocean of need out there. And all we have, or all that I have, is a drop. But when the little boy, and this is the point I'd like to draw from this account. When the little boy did what with his lunch? Gave it up. When he gave his lunch to Jesus, look what happened. God can multiply. He will give the increase. I believe too often we tend to underestimate the significance of the little that I can do. Just the little deed of love or just that one little word of truth. We underestimate that. 
But when we give it, I believe God is waiting to do great things with that. I'd like to, to repeat this a time or two so that we can remember the challenge. But to speak truth and to show love is like turning the hearts of men to their creator and their redeemer. That, that I think, is what sowing the seed of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, is to speak truth and to show love. Let's never underestimate that somehow bringing God into a conversation has great potential to transform lives. Let's be willing to give the little that we have to be sowers and waterers, and God will give the increase. Now I'd like to just switch gears a little and give some practical illustrations to encourage us to be diligent in giving the little we have. I know this brother, and maybe some of you do too. Uh, his name is Edwin Troyer from Holmes County, Ohio. They were missionaries in Canada for some years under, uh, it slipped my mind, the organization they were under. And they were at the end of their term, and he gives the account like this, that they were up on a roof, he was up on a roof, working all day with an Indian brother or an Indian man, and he kept seeing this as his opportunity to say something. And he said, I, I just wasn't able to get it done. And just before they parted, he said he squeaked out, do you ever think about God? And the man said, no. And then they parted. A couple years later, Edwins went back up to Canada to visit. And this man met him and said, Edwin, do you remember what you said just before we parted? Or what you asked me? And I'm not remembering now if Edwin remembered or not, but he said that I could not shake that question. And today I'm a born-again believer. So can you and I squeak out to someone, do you ever think about God? Another story I, I account that I like to give as an illustration that we can all do. There's a brother in our church that worked, all of a sudden I thought about it, worked for Les King. I'm not sure if Les is here or not. And he had this habit of when people would ask him, how are you? He would ask them, the tourists and so on, how are you? And uh, then they'd ask him, and he'd say, I have lots to be thankful for. And there was one time this mother and daughter that were visiting here in intercourse, and they were from the New England states, and they went home, and this little girl went to school. And when the teacher asked how she's doing, she said, I have lots to be thankful for. And after a bit, there was other children that were asking her, how are you? And she said, I have lots to be thankful for. And the teacher wondered, well, where do you get this? Uh, you know, and she said, oh, there's a man down in Lancaster that that's what he'll say when you ask him. And so uh, her mother found out about this and the next time they were in Lancaster in intercourse, the mother said to the little girl, you show me, show me where this man is. And she went right to the man and asked him how he is. And he said, I have lots to be thankful for. 
and the mother was listening. <laughs> hmm, that would be speaking truth. Yeah, very simple. I have lots to be thankful for. There was a brother in Romania um, there at, at the farm where we worked, and his name was Vasily, for those of you who would know Vasily. I could count on it, not every morning, but often. Alvin, what did you read in scripture this morning? That, that'll keep you up to date. <laughs> yeah. Can we do that? Can we ask each other, what did you read in scripture today? What's God talking to you about? There's another account that I like to, to give. We made friends while we were in Romania with this couple that ended up moving to New, New Jersey, and then they would travel from New Jersey on the turnpike to come and visit us. And one day when they came to visit us, he was all excited. He said, we come the turnpike, we came the turnpike, and as I exited at the toll booth, I usually hand these out, these little um, cards that he had made. I hand them out, let them lay in restrooms, places of business, and wherever. And it simply says, Jesus loves you. In a dark world, Jesus' love shines through. And then it's John 3.16 on the back. And so that day, with his cash, he handed a card. And he was waiting for his change. And the lady laid it down and stopped and said, you'll never know what this means to me today. We're in the middle of a divorce and I'm crying out to God and here this card comes into our hands. He was so excited and I'm not sure how old our youngest was at that time but he heard this and saw the excitement and this is actually a card now that our youngest makes. For some years he kept me supplied in these and I would have stories to tell. Can we do this? I traveled with uh, William McGrath to the Holy Lands one time, and it was one of the first times for me to have a passport and get out of the country. So I was like trailing William. Actually, I was carrying the bags for Lil's father, Bill Chup, carrying his luggage. And I soon noticed that before we ever boarded, William was there praying. And I forget how I found out, but he said he prays for whoever he's going to be sitting beside when he gets on the plane. And a marvelous thing. I never saw anything quite like it. I ended up sitting beside Muslims, ladies that had their most of their head covered. And this was a seven-hour flight, so I... You know, got to talking with them. They could talk English. And, and I asked them about their head covering and some of their culture and beliefs and so on. And after a bit, this lady was asking me questions. And I was like, I really think William needs to come and help me out. So he did. He traded seats with somebody. And we were in the middle of the plane. And... Uh, the two engaged in a conversation and William just picked his voice up a little and I was observing people around him leaning and listening.
Do we pray? Do we pray? That's not that hard to do, is it? I want to share this account that illustrates how one changed life can affect a whole village. While we were in Romania, I was in charge of the seed project where every spring we would pass out these packets of garden seeds. And how we got to the villages that we got to was through the evangelists um, that were supported by Christian aid. So this one day, this evangelist said that he's really having trouble getting into Poyana. They just chase him out every time he goes in there. He can't even meet with a family to talk about salvation in the Bible. But he said he thinks that if we come with our seeds, they'll let us in. So it was arranged, and we went into the village that day. And the place that was to be open for us was locked, and the person that had the key wasn't around. So what were we going to do? Well, there was, there was a man that really wanted his seeds, but we wouldn't give the seeds unless we could give our slide presentation and program. So he said, well, he has the key to the school, and let's go to the school. So we set up in the school hall. We couldn't even get into the classrooms. So it was just the, a narrow hall. As I remember it, I put my screen at the end of the hall and the projector at the door, and there was 30 people that fit in there that watched this slide presentation and we uh, share the gospel with our, our pictures and afterwards the evangelist asked the 30 people how many would like to hear more about the gospel and seven people raised their hands so now he had access to that village into seven homes so his next step was to put up a sign close to the center of the village that he's going to be here tomorrow evening to preach the gospel. And that evening, a drunk man on his way home staggered past that sign, tore it off the fence, took it home, laid it on his pillow, and slept on it. The next morning when he woke up, he read the invitation and he said, I think that's what I need. And he went to the, uh, to the place of meeting that evening and heard the gospel and became the village's first Christian. Now he was, he was a drunkard. His life changed so drastically that his wife became a Christian. And their two sons saw such a change in their mom and dad that they became Christians. Some while later, this family who opened their home for church put their request into Christian aid for a church house. They donated part of their property. A church house was built. And when Lil and I went back to visit one time, they had gauged the church dedication to suit our being there. And I wish I could show you the pictures of that village. On the day the church house was dedicated, it was packed full, windows were open, and the courtyard was full of spectators. I don't know what the situation is there today, but just an illustration of how one man can affect a whole village.
I have maybe another account that I'd like to share that has probably encouraged me more than anything to be a sower. Just observing or watching how God can take one little seed and grow something immense out of it. Like I mentioned, we, in Romania, we did, uh, we passed out seed packs, about 60,000 packs per season. It was like a six-week period where we would do 10 meetings a week was kind of the average. And often from 100 up to 900 people in a meeting, depends where we were. By 2001, I estimated that over 100,000 people had received seeds and watched the slides and heard the gospel. So we were moving from one village to the next, and the evangelists that Christian Aid was supporting, they were taking us to villages, some where there were no Christians and where people had never heard the gospel. In our slide presentation, we, we uh, gave like instructions on how to, how to make good use of the seeds and farming practices and, and so on. And we had, um, we had certain themes and things that we were addressing like honesty and not stealing, but helping each other, honoring God, being good stewards, and subjects like that, along with the gospel message. And then we moved from the gospel message to showing the Romanians what Christian Aid is doing in, in showing love and care for the orphans. So then we would show a picture of the 57 orphanage children. And one of the statistics was that half of them were there because of drunkenness in their homes, broken homes, and so on. And we shared the account or the story of the four Batsika children that were at the orphanage and how the, these children, their father was a drunkard and how that these children had to watch their father murder their mother. And we, we would tell the story how that this Nello Batsika came home one evening just drunk enough to be dangerous. And he got upset with his wife and their mother and tied her up to the bedposts and began beating her in front of the children. And the children pled for their mother, but he made them sit on the bed or, and, and threaten them if, if they don't, uh, he would beat them. And this went on for some time, and after a bit, he asked one of the children to go to the kitchen to get a knife. And she did, and he began cutting her to the point where she bled to death. One of the children actually slipped out the window and went for help, but it was too late. The police came and took Nello to prison, and four of the children that were at the right age for our orphanage came to our orphanage. Now, when they came to our orphanage, we were able to meet their physical needs, but we soon learned that there's some deep emotional needs that need to be addressed. And one of, one of the, the things that happened was that Johnny and Ruth would usually pray the Lord's Prayer with the children as they tucked them into bed. And as they were praying, Father, forgive us 
as we forgive others. Elena, the oldest one of the four, asked if that means that she has to forgive her father for killing mom. So, this went some time with this kind of coaching. Elena one night said, when the caretaker asked why she's not sleeping, she said, every time I close my eyes, I see my dad with a knife. So these things took some time. But Elena and the, those children got to the place where they were willing to forgive their father. And in our Bible study and church services, almost without fail, when it was opened up for prayer requests, one of them would raise their hand and say, pray for dad, that he would become a Christian and that we would know where he is. At that time, we weren't sure which prison he was in. So we share this account, and the evangelists that take us to these villages hear this story again and again, the story of forgiveness and that God will forgive. And one time at a church dedication for a CAM uh, building, there was one of the evangelists that was there, And I remember that day specifically. I'm pretty sure there were six, if not seven, visiting ministers. And in those churches, when you're a visiting minister, you get to speak. And the seventh one was this evangelist that heard this Batsika story again and again. He got up. Now, it didn't rhyme like I'm saying it because he was speaking in Romania in Romanian, but he said, it's quite hot and we heard a lot. So I'm gonna keep it short, but I have a prayer request. I was in a prison here in the last week or so, and I shared about Christ's forgiveness and this story from the Nathaniel Orphanage. I shared it with the prisoners. Afterwards, a man came up to me and said, I know what you're talking about. I murdered my wife, and I'm now experiencing God's forgiveness in my life. Could you help me find my children? And he said, I have seven children. The seven number, as I understood it, kind of threw the evangelist off because he kept hearing this story about the four Batsika children that were at the Nathaniel Orphanage. So he shared that as a prayer request, and immediately after the service, Sylvia and I approached him and said, who is this man? And he said, I have the name at home, and when I get home, I'll I'll call you. Well, he called and said, the man's name is Nelu Batsika. And I can still see Elena, that was the oldest one of the four, running from building to building over there at the orphanage, telling all her friends that we found dad and he's a Christian. What do you think that did to our prayer meetings? Well, it went several months till we felt the children were ready to go meet their father. And Johnny and Ruth and Lil and I and Sylvia and the four children packed our lunches and took a couple hour drive to the prison. At the prison, they knew we were coming. We talked to the prisoner, the prison guards, and I wish I could demonstrate, but I don't think I can, how the guards looked with a stern face and braced up shoulders. And as Sylvia shared the whole story and that their father is here in prison and that we came to visit him. And there were the children in the office. I wish you could see the countenance 
on those men. And at one point, the head guard asked one of the, the policemen to go get Nelu. Nelu came to the door and stepped inside. And I don't think he realized that his children were going to be in the office, except that just outside the door, somebody gave him four candy bars, which I think is a cultural um, hint or indication of something. He stepped inside and just broke down and wept. And this was like three to four years after the incident where he murdered his wife in front of the children. Now, all on the way to the prison, different times, Vasi, Vasilika, would say, I'm just going to throw my arms around Dad and tell him that I forgive him. And that's exactly what happened. We had the children's photo books along and then left Nelu and the four children by themselves for about a half an hour. And news spread throughout that prison that the Americans brought Nelu's four children and that we're going to have a program in, at a certain time, and I forget what time it was, in the mess hall. I'll take you now to the mess hall. 30-some men in prison garb, sobbing uncontrollably. I never saw anything like it as these four little children and Sylvia were singing. A striking thing that I'll probably never forget is at the end of that service, the evangelist invited three men to pray, and then he would close. And two men prayed, and then Vasi's dad, Nelu, was all the way in the back sitting beside me and he prayed and he prayed the Lord's Prayer nothing before and nothing after and that was our very theme for those years that we were passing out seeds it was on the Lord's Prayer well we left that prison that day humbled to be a part of such a work of God. Now, Phil Byler was over at that time working in um, the teaching ministry's office, and they were translating lamp and light um, Bible study courses into Romanian. Phil was able to get those Bible study courses into that prison. One time later, we were there, and I asked one of the guards how many Christians are in this prison. And he said, oh, many. Now, God is awesome. This prison was not the normal Romanian prison, but it was a prison for it was a TB treatment hospital prison. So the prisoners from all around Romania were coming there for treatment, and then they would leave. And while they were there, there was evangelist and Bible study activity. Now, do you see this little seed and this tree becoming a large oak tree? One time I remember asking Phil Byler, how many, how many people have uh, signed up for the Bible study courses? He said they're coming from all over Romania. It wasn't long later that Nelu was moved to another prison. One plants, another waters, but let's all say it together. But God gives the increase. 
there was a lot of planters. And you could take this all the way back to who had the vision to ever send seeds to Romania. Somewhere there was a seed thought that today, I believe, is not finished growing. I'd like to uh, close with a few remarks, concluding remarks. Sowing seeds of what? Love and truth. Sowing seeds of love and truth is not something extra. It's the essence of following Christ. It's what we're called to do. Psalm 126, 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Could I say this yet? The rewards of service is not to be described, only discovered. Does that whet our appetite? Real joy is in service. And God will give the increase if we'll give our little lunch to him. That's the challenge for this evening.